jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, talk, deep deep sounds. This is Body Tonic Radio with Jennifer DeLuca on jasoncharles.net. You're listening to Body Tonic Radio on jasoncharles.net. I am your host, Jennifer DeLuca. There are a few things that incorporate mind, body, and soul more completely than a competitive sport. Today, I am at Sporting Club Yoa in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. In case you are wondering how that's spelled, it's G as in George, J-O with a line through it, A. It's of Norwegian descent dating back to 1911. I have the honor of chatting with two dedicated and talented coaches. Lee Kellett is director of youth soccer at Sporting Club Yoa, and Alexandra Keeney is assistant director of youth soccer at Sporting Club Yoa. Each of them has a combination of a variety of different coaching licenses. And so I'd like to start by talking a little bit about what you do to get a coach's license. So can you guys talk a little about what that is? Yeah, um, each country, depending on where you're, you're coaching, they will have governing bodies. So in America, it's the USSF. In England, where we come from, is the English FA. And they will do their own coaching badges, starting at level one, or in this country, it's a D license. And you just work up, up the badges depending on your level and experience. So every year, you do you do a little bit more to keep these licenses going, Alex? Um us in this club, we do, because we like to keep on top of what's changing within the US Soccer Federation. There's a lot more courses available now, not just on the field. Like the past weekend, I was on a course for director of coaching. So it was basically the sport management side of things, how to run a club, what we can do better to keep kids playing soccer, and all the issues you face within youth soccer. I love that. I mean, I could feel that immediately when my son was playing for the club. There was a level of expertise out there and that you guys were really dedicated to it. It really shows. How did the two of you meet? Through soccer. So we both worked for an organization who brought out soccer coaches to the U.S. And Lee had been with them a little bit longer than me. And then I joined. And he then moved away and then we met back up when he come back to be the director of coaching. Why do you think you guys kept in touch? Like, did you automatically know you had something in common in terms of the sport? Or was it both like just a desire to move to the States? I think being a northerner from England, you stick together. You don't come across a a lot of them here. (laughs) And he's like my big brother now, so. Oh, that's awesome. You know, your love of soccer is very obvious when I'm hanging out with you guys, just you really enjoy the sport so much. And I remember very specifically the moment when I knew I had to dance, as well as the moment I completely fell in love with Pilates. Did you have a moment when you realized soccer was your thing or did it come over time? For us, we grew up with it. You know, you're living in the northwest of England. Some might say, yeah, you know, we're born with it. It's, it's how you grow up. It's You come you know, out of the womb playing it's soccer. It's our culture, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't say there's a moment where you, you fall in love with it. It's, uh, it's a part of life at home, isn't yeah. it? The games on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday is just football at home. Midweek football's a bonus. So it's a passion. The way we 
introduce each other. Alex says you're from Liverpool. The first thing question you ask is, are you red or blue? <laughs> so it's... Explain to everybody what that means. <laughs> are you red or blue? It's two teams in Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool yeah. playing red, Everton playing blue. Mm-hmm. If she said she was red, we wouldn't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> So then what other experiences did you have in your lives that led you to coach? Like, Lee, what, why do you think you're here coaching right now? Even when I was going through college and stuff like that, my ambition was to be like a, you know, a PE teacher or something teaching anyway. And when I was younger, there was no such thing as a paid coach other than the elite academies. Um, and then I remember looking through college courses and seeing that there was a, a football studies and, you know, then turning in, realizing you could actually do that as a career at a, at a grassroots level. So I always had ambition to teach. I enjoy teaching and working with young people. So. And you had told me, too, that did you work with kids with special needs at one point? Yeah. Um, in England, it's hard to earn enough money coaching. So my day job was working with kids with autism at schools. So that's, like I could say, working with young people has kind of been my background anyway. Yeah. And Alex, what about you? Yeah, from the age that you could at home, so you can volunteer from 15. So from then, I always volunteered with youth sports. So I worked in a blind school, teaching them to swim, multi-sports. Like that was probably one of the big things that made me want to continue in this in this line of work. And then I went to university and did a physical education degree. So I always thought I'm going to teach I never thought I'd teach soccer. Mm-hmm. I always thought I'd just be a gym teacher. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is my passion. It's, you know, I love the sport and I want girls to be able to love the sport the same way that I do. Yeah. Soccer is just part of the culture in England and it's not that popular in America. But yet you come here to earn a living and it's harder to earn a living in England. Can you explain? So America's actually the highest paid youth coaches in the world. Part of that is the pay-to-play system where the vast majority of the clubs, you have to pay like a yearly fee to play, where in England, the grassroots level will just be a dad coaching or a mum, just the same way it is here with baseball or or American football. And then if you're really good, uh, you'll play for an academy and then there's different levels of academy. But in England, we have a small little country and we have 92 professional teams in the league and then we have in the league below that there's still some that are professional so there's a lot of academies where they don't have loads of funding but the kids play for free so they don't pay the coaches a lot they're not able to where in america i find if there's one thing that americans will put money into it's the child's sport the child's activities and i think that makes this such a big industry which some people say it's one of the biggest problems i think is the pay to play system not used correctly. People say it's a bad system. I think if it's used correctly, we you can use that money rather than people getting making you know very good livings off it. You know in excess, I think some of that money could go back into getting more players playing for free and really spread it out. I would say that we definitely don't do this to make money. Yeah, it's the fact that <laughs> you know in the presentation we do to um, all the families about the yo away. I actually mentioned in the that what the coaches roughly get paid per team, and you're talking like eight to ten thousand a team. You don't have that many teams, and you know a lot of the parents quickly add it up that this is 
this is a vocation. We love doing this. The fact that we can earn just about enough for it to be a full-time job and not have to work in an office is why people get attracted to come into coming here to coach as opposed to in England you got to work full-time as I mentioned earlier I worked during the day at an autistic school then I would go to coaching straight after that so it isn't that we can earn loads of money here it's just that you can earn enough to to do this full-time. So sporting club YOA has been around since 1911 and they're one of the oldest clubs in America right can you give our listeners a little history of the club or, or and what it was that led you to them? Well, the history, it was set up by Norwegian immigrants and the whole of this area, Bay Ridge, Staten Island, had a lot of Scandinavian um, immigrants living around here. So we actually found a flyer from 1930 that shows a Yoa tournament and it's got all these different Scandinavian clubs like the Vikings. And and there's still now in a, in a couple of places, you'll see like a Danish club and stuff like that. Still little bits of it still remaining, but... um. Yeah, it's just, it started with actually tug of war and whale fishing was the main sports they played. Uh-huh. Um, they would throw <laughs> a, a fake whale into the, the sea and they would, you know, off the Verrazano and they would go out <laughs> and uh, try and hunt for it. I love that. And then uh-huh. soccer became part of it uh, more, I think they say 1918 was when the soccer started within, within Yoa. And um, it's had its ups and downs at a point where they've had players playing for the national team in the early years. And then it slowly became a community soccer club. And then in more recent times, it has, it has grown to be the size it is now. When did you come to Yoa? I came over in, I was working for the coaching agency that Alex mentioned. And I started here in, I think, 2013. Mm-hmm. Both of us, it wasn't that we came to Yoa, it was the coaching agency put us in to this club but for me I remember telling my wife within 12 months of being at Yoa I was like I'm not going to be at a club like this again because the 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 way the everyone buys into the same philosophy the the kind of parents you get and families you get in this club is quite rare compared to um, some of the other clubs I've worked at that buy into the same beliefs as I do so it's you know Well, that leads me to my next question, because I want to talk to you guys about playing the Yoa way. This is a hashtag you guys use on social media. I remember with my son Darius, how hard coach Anthony had to fight to get the kids to not pay attention to the score, to just focus on playing with the new skill they learned that week in practice or concept. Um, I mean, seven and eight-year-olds, they want numbers, right? Like, I scored two goals, or we beat you 10 nothing. Their minds get wrapped around that. I understood the concept right away from all my years of studying classical dance. Like, you, you have to practice pointing your toe a bajillion times before you can jump. Many kids and parents might not get it. What is that like for you guys to defend that style of play every year, day in and day out? The key thing is the communication, making sure the parents understand that little by little we will we'll get to the end goal. You know, it's like a master plan. There's a long-term process that we're looking for rather than just winning at, at the younger stages. So it's all about us communicating that to the parents, to the players, making them focus on what is important at that age, which is the development, especially at the really younger age because they only have a small window where they can absorb stuff as easy as they can. Um, and there's a lot of you know research that we've looked into and read about that, that shows how important that is. And focusing on just winning when they're younger and not teaching the right foundation 
when they're older, they're not going to be at the same level they could have been. And you've just got to constantly keep explaining that to to players, to parents. And then celebrate the moments. So when they do do the skill that we're working on, and when they do score a really nice goal, when they do play it out from the back up the field, to really celebrate that. And like everyone, you know, you, you just want to be celebrated. You want that moment to be adored. So you've got to give them that, but in the right way, rather than celebrating winning 5-0 from five goals that aren't uh, realistic when they get older, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you can't see what's happening, but Alex is smiling in agreement over here. I'm just wondering if there are some words you want to uh, add to that. No, I agree with Lee. You know, we want to create the, the fun environment and let the kids be creative. You know, the, it's we're looking after the individual. I know it's the team sport, but we want to promote that creativity as while they're having fun and enjoying this sport. I have a question, you know, we talked a little bit about the history of the club and coming into this country, being born into soccer in your country, why are Americans historically so behind in soccer? Is it because of the domination of other organized sports or are there other reasons for that? I think you have a lot of a lot of different sports that are promoted and, you know, each season there's a new sport you know, basketball in the winter and baseball in the spring. Like we've got a lot of competition to to promote and keep them engaged in in the soccer the soccer sport. You know, some people might not think it's as competitive as football is or aggressive or it just depends what you want your child to be a part of. Like the aggression of playing football where it's, you know, full steam ahead, tactics. Whereas in the soccer world, it's you know the technical side where you need to be able to do all the individual little skills to the subtleties. Yes, the subtleties of soccer and the complexity of the footwork and the footwork skills. I want to just take a second to let our listeners know you are listening to JasonCharles.net. I am your host Jennifer DeLuca, and I am chatting with two coaches from Sporting Club Yoa. Lee Kellett and Alexandra Keeney on Body Tonic Radio. Coach Alex, let's talk about girls in the sport. Can you share your experience as a female coach now and how it might be evolving? I think it's really cool that you got to be here when the U.S. women's team became the world champions. Was that cool? Yes, it was. It was very (laughs) cool to watch them do their parade tour down um, Wall Street. So that was very good to see. The sport's grown a lot here and at home. There was much more opportunity here for females to to play soccer and to be comfortable in this environment. There's still a lot of stereotypes at home where, you know, playing with the boys until a certain age because there's no girls' teams around. That's changed a lot now. Now we have a professional women's league where the women are getting paid to play. Great. They're not needing to, you know, have a full-time job train in the morning then train in the evening and then travel for games on the weekend so we are definitely catching up to the u.s women's national team as well so <laughs> we better look out yes, better. <laughs> um, but as for the youth side in in new york in brooklyn you know we we struggle we struggle to to get girls to play you know i'm trying to grow this program and when i arrived there was three teams two teams and now, you know, each year we're, we're gaining a new team. And we as a club, not just me, the, the boys are all invested as well. We just want girls to have the opportunity to play. And, you know, it's 
the social side, the physical side. We want girls to be active and we want them to, you know, feel a part of a team and be able to have the freedom to, to do this sport. Yeah. Sort of switching gears a little bit, talk about the parents. You know, you guys know that I'm Italian from Queens and that means that I yell a lot at the sidelines. <laughs> and recently, Lee, you snuck up right next to me while I was watching a game and I was doing my thing yelling and you totally busted me coaching from the sidelines. And I had no idea that I was coaching from the sidelines. I think I yelled something like, get that ball. And you were like, see, that's coaching. Can you talk a little about the dangers of parent sideline coaching? The dangers come not just from the, the parent, but also from the coaches as well. Soccer, unlike a sport like American football, is player-led. The players have to make the decisions. It's fast, high-tempoed, so they've got to make quick decisions. Even when you see one option, there could actually be five right options. So if you start telling the kids what to do, even if the coach is saying, giving one of the right options, you're not developing that uh, decision-making process. So what a lot of parents don't realise is they're trying to help because they're shouting, go, 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 or pressure. And what they don't realise is that one, even if that was the right decision, the player has to make that decision. And they have to learn, oh, I missed that again. I should have gone then. And they, they go through that process. If they make the same mistake three or four times, that's when a coach might step in but probably not when they're on the field because they're going to feel the pressure. They're, they're young children. They've not developed the capabilities of fully dealing with that pressure yet. There's a lot more pressure than we realise they feel under. For example, when you play a ball to an adult player, we naturally know the moves to do because we've done it so many times. A young player is still having to think that process through, like what part of my foot should I control this with? So you're adding on top of that, shouting at them, it, it doesn't help. And then sometimes... Or, and in some cases, a lot of the times, parents are shouting the wrong thing. So they're shouting pressure when actually going and chasing that ball, you're going to leave a big hole and you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, get exploited defensively. So sometimes they're even shouting the wrong thing. So we say, you know, talk about the past as on the sidelines. So just encourage a past action. So if they took a shot, just clap, well done, whether it went in or not, encourage them. Don't talk about what they can do because let them make that decision. So we, we're not telling parents to be quiet, even though I'm sure the kids would prefer that. <laughs> we're actually telling parents just to talk, be encouraging of the past and nothing else. and Because you, you're actually damaging your child's development by coaching from the sidelines. I mean, I want you to know that we did, our team, you, Eleven Henriksen, did take that in and we we help we each other you. <laughs> no we help each other we actually talk about it we go down you see that was co like we'll tell we'll call each other out or we'll say we'll, we'll remind each other you are allowed to cheer after something happens you can comment after it happens. so we did we did take it to heart it sunk in alex did you want to add anything to that like lee said you know you telling the kids to pressure you don't know what we mean by that we might have keywords like with my teams i have five keywords that i use so you saying pressure might not mean the same pressure as I mean. So like it's a lot of confusion. Like, you know, they're not robots. We're not joysticking from the sideline. We want them to have the freedom to make the mistake because this, this is our job. We want to coach them in that mistake. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times learning requires making mistakes. Definitely. Whenever I watch a professional game, they begin the game with the players walking out with a child. They're holding a child's hand 
where did that start? Why why do they do that? I don't I mean, know. To, to us, we always thought that was just normal. So <laughs> when we actually, you know, auctioned off for to raise money for our scholarship fund and we auctioned off players the opportunity to do that at NYCFC and people didn't really know what it was to us. I mean, I don't watch many American sports. So I didn't realize that you didn't do that. To us, <laughs> we just grow up and it's like to be a mascot, you know, and have that opportunity um, to walk out with your idol was just completely normal and the rest of the world seems to do it. But uh, I'm glad that the Major League Soccer is doing it now because for those kids, it's a moment that they'll never, ever forget. We... We had one recently and me and Alex were chaperoning the kids and one boy was at the front and he had David Villa holding David Villa's hand and Wayne Rooney was stood right next to him and he's walking out with a bigger smile on his face. He's never ever going to forget two legends of the game walking out at Yankee Stadium. And you talked a little bit about the scholarship just now. You you mentioned it and I want to talk about Yoa's free U8 program. No other club does that. You do extensive fundraising for scholarships for the club. And in addition, Lee, you have a side project along with Coach Anthony where you raise money for children in Ghana. You are so committed to this club. I mean, you still find time to do all of this charity work. Where does that commitment come from? I don't know. To me, it's just <laughs> normal. It's just, you know, we, we I love this game and I love the fact that we can influence um, kids' lives in all different backgrounds. And we talked earlier about like changing them as people um, as well as a player. So it doesn't matter what person that is, where they're from, what the situation is. They're just, you know, for us, it's it's a passion to to do those kind of things. Um, I don't know where this will go down in, in America, but I think in, in England and in parts of Europe, it's, it's much more in our culture anyway. It's a, a huge, you know, like our club is Norwegian, Scandinavia, like these kind of things of giving back and doing community stuff is just, it's quite normal. What can parents and the community do to support our coaches? What can parents do? Mm-hmm. Be quiet on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Don't send long emails complaining about understanding how hard this job is. And take our job serious. This is our job. This is our career, you know. You might think it's just a hobby for us, but we are passionate and it's not just the soccer. It's it's, it's the whole other parts of it, the life part. Like, just, just trust us. Yeah. Is there anything that you can offer us about the future of youth soccer? Like, what do you hope for for the future of youth soccer? Within America, just to, to have more people focused on developing the individual not just as a player, but as a person, rather than trying to get a win. And you hear big people within the game in America, like Claudio Reyna at um, NYCFC, ex-national team player. And he says, you know, there's too many people focused on winning at under 10. So if he's at the top of the game and we're at the grassroots level, let's find that everyone in between to be on the same page. And in turn... America won't have to watch the rest of the world playing in the World Cup. They get to be back in. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. So most of the kids you work with may not ever become champions. So what is it that you really hope to offer them to take away from their time with you? I mean, our club, one of our main philosophies is that we're looking to develop the person and then the player. So teaching them how to be a better teammate, all the other different attributes that, that come from sportsmanship, discipline, self-discipline, 
simple things like wearing the correct uniform to practice, wearing the correct uniform to a game, being on time, communicating with your coach, just teaching them life skills that they can take into, you know, when they when they get older. But also, these are the messages that a teacher is saying to them, that a, the parents are saying to them. And we know that in, in a lot of situations, we're a huge role model for, for the players because soccer's their favourite thing to do. They look up to us. So we've got to use that moment to give the same message that parents are trying to give on teaching them, you know, right from wrong. Um, I've had a few... A few moments where I've realised I'm a I'm a role model to some to some girls. You know, I've had moments in their lives where they've needed life advice, and you know, for them to feel comfortable to come to me. You know, it's not just about the football; it's it's being there for them, and I can educate, I can guide them. I'm not their parent, but I'm that adult in their life that they know they can trust, and I'm there to help them. Such a big deal. Because you guys know my father coached for a long time. He coached maybe for 15 years. And he passed away 25 years ago. But I still get notes from people saying what an impact he had on them. It's been such a pleasure talking to you both today. Uh, I hope you guys have a great season. And I want to say to our listeners for more information about these coaches and sporting club YOA, go to yoa.org. And again, that is spelled G-J-O-A.org. Please consider donating to their scholarship fund. This is Jennifer DeLuca, and you've been listening to Body Tonic Radio on jasoncharles.net. This is Body Tonic Radio with Jennifer DeLuca on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep Deep Talk, talk, Deep deep sounds. Sounds